He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunez from the Kings Bulls Podcast, Kings Herald, uh, the Kings Beat. He's doing all kinds of things. He's wearing multiple hats right now. What's going on, Brendan? Not too much, James. I'm doing good, man. I forgot to wear the hoodie. I wore it yesterday, and it's extremely comfortable. Fire and ice Kings Beat hoodie. Finally got my way. That's right. There's proof that it exists now. I do believe you. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I, well, there was a time where I, like, literally handed it to you, but then it got left in the car, and, like, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a long story. It's a long story. Um, okay, so let's just cut through, like, a bunch of really random stuff here at the beginning of the podcast. Um, number one, uh, I've written Sunday Musings every single week uh, up until this last weekend. Sometimes I think there's twice where we had games on Sunday and I had to push it to Monday musings. Uh, I did not write Sunday musings this week um, because uh, I'm still going through like a bunch of weird medical stuff. And uh, so because we uh, I, I've said in the beginning, this is King's coverage with personal touch. I'll just tell you, Brandon knows um, I have blood clots in my left leg and I've been working through it. Uh, but they're traveling now, and so uh, it's, I don't know if you've ever, if any of you out there have ever had blood clots, they're really, really painful and unfortunate, and basically it's like a golf ball moving up my left leg, uh, like under the skin, so not very pleasant. I'll be put on blood thinners later today. Uh, I should be fine. There's nothing to be worried about, and blood tests and stuff like that, but I just want to be honest with you people because... Um, I never miss writings on the musings, and uh, I didn't do it this weekend. So sitting down is is not the best thing for me at this point. Uh, laying down is, uh, but Brennan seen me like limping around uh, the arena. I've I almost missed a game because of it, uh, but I I don't miss games. I haven't missed one in ten years. Um, I might miss my trip to New Orleans to go to the Final Four next weekend. Uh, but that is still, that is in the hands of a vascular surgeon at this point. So, uh, yeah, just like to be honest and forthright, uh, with the good people that follow the King's beat. Um, outside of that, everything's fine. I feel totally healthy and everything else. Uh, we've got, let's get to the, the business side. We've got the, uh, off the record with the King's beat virtual happy hour, part four infectious disease control on Thursday evening from 5.30 to 7.30. The legendary Scott Moak will join the show. Um, I am so excited about that. That is going to be a ton of fun. If you are not a premium subscriber to the King's Beat, you will not get an invite. Uh, It is for premium subscribers only, uh, but awesome stuff, and I can't wait for that. I'm assuming Brennan will be there. I'm hoping Brennan will be there. That's Uh, the plan. That's the plan. Uh, Brennan will be there. That's the plan. Um, outside of that, uh, the fire and ice t-shirts are like flying off the shelves. So, uh, there's a promo code down below. If you're on the YouTube, 
uh, in the description. There's also a promo code if you get the email uh, in the uh, for 15% off the Kingsweep merch shop. Like I, I've been spending a lot of time packing up stuff, writing personalized notes uh, to all of you, and sending out merchandise. So uh, thank you to everyone who's jumping on board with the merchandise. It's a lot of fun, actually. I, I enjoy like having a giant stack of packages and walking into the post office and sending them out. It's a lot of fun. Um, outside of that, uh, happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, the season is winding down. I think we have – Brendan, do we have nine games left? Nine games, and at least five of them without Demonis Simonis. Uh, at least five of them without DeMontis Sabonis. Okay, so before we ju- jump in, because that's where we're starting right now, is with DeMontis Sabonis. If you are watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up right down below. Uh, and subscribe to the King's Beat podcast here on YouTube. Uh, that always helps us. Uh, subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcast. Give us a rating and review. That helps us with all of those things. But uh, we've crushed it a thousand. We're on our way to uh 1100 uh subscribers here on the youtube channel and so good things are happening um like brennan said uh sabonis brennan when you saw him going down uh when you saw him laying on the baseline what was your first thought it was just a holy crap is he not gonna get to have any progress this off season um but you know watching the replay it looked very uncomfortable but the replay wasn't like horrifying, you know, like like something would be where a guy is out for months because of some knee issue. Um, and then to kind of see him get up on on his own free will and, and walk around and even attempt to play again right after, which only lasted, what, maybe 20 seconds before he realized it wasn't going to happen and ended up going back into the locker room. But I thought that that was a good sign. But there definitely was a, a quietness that went around Golden 1 Center that was probably a little bit of fear. Yeah, uh, I think everybody, like the collective, collectively holding their breath um, with him laying down on the baseline, grabbing his left knee. Um, Sean Cunningham was sitting next to me, and luckily my guy Sean had his camera rolling through the entire play and had a pretty good view, and it it really just looked like he took knee to knee contact and the inside of his left knee and it didn't it didn't wobble. He didn't like tear an ACL or, or an MCL or mess up his patella tendon or anything else. It's probably just I mean the team is saying it's just a bruise on the uh on the left knee. Um he's not traveling on the trip and you know, look, I, I think that there's a possibility that Sabonis probably would have been out like a game or two, um, in a normal situation, but this isn't a normal situation. It's final uh, stretch run of the season. Uh, he's going to miss the entire trip. And I'll also throw in this other thing that I, I think maybe people have already forgotten. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis, his wife had a baby like last weekend. Um, so this is actually going to be a moment where, uh, you know, look, it, we're coming to the end of the season. These games do not matter for the Sacramento Kings. Actually, they do. Uh, losses matter more than wins at this point in the season. And uh, I think it's good that uh, Sabonis is going to take it easy and watch from afar and, and uh, you know, heal up the right way. Um, he will be reevaluated in 10 days, which is after the trip. And that means that he is likely going to be eligible to play in the last four games of the season. But I'm just going to say I'm not sure that we will see Sabonis again this season. And that's kind of 
where I'm at right now. Where are you at with that? Yeah, that's fine by me. Like I wouldn't, you know, the only reason that I saw in actually like having Sabonis out there is for him to get some chemistry with De'Aaron Fox primarily and maybe some of these other guys like DiVincenzo or Davion Mitchell, Harrison Barnes, but primarily Fox and and Fox wasn't available um, these last couple games either. We'll have to see what goes on with that hand that was in a brace uh, when we saw him at the last game, um, held my memory here, against the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the Kings aren't in a position where they're going to get the 10 seed. Um, they're not mathematically out of it yet, but they're pretty much as close as you're going to get. And meanwhile, they the Pacers just ended up beating the Portland Trailblazers. So now the Kings are sole owners of the fifth best odds in the draft lottery by half a game compared to Indiana, uh, but they're only three games ahead or I guess behind of the Portland Trailblazers who sit in seventh. Like that race is more important for the Kings right now in this final nine game stretch than it is chasing some ridiculous dream of a play in tournament. So we've talked a lot about how there needs to be big change this offseason, how there needs to be another big substantial move, and the best asset they could possibly work with is a high draft pick. So it's fine by me. Um, I don't mind Sabonis taking some time to kind of get settled into Sacramento to uh, deal with the, get to go through the birth of his, the uh, raising of his first child. And yeah, it's, this is more than fine by me. Yeah. Okay. So you brought up a couple of things there. We might as well dive into, um, you know what, let's push, let's push back the, the race for the five. Uh, towards the end of the the pod because we're going to discuss some of the the happenings over the weekend with the uh, you know the teams in the round of 32 and the Sweet 16, uh, which I, I think were a lot of fun. Well, now we're heading to the Sweet 16, right? Um, yeah, oh, yeah. This week is the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, and then next weekend is the Final Four and the final and then the championship. Um, so let's let's just wait on that stuff, and we're gonna bust into right now. What does it mean? Sabonis is out; um, he's not traveling. Uh, I have yet to get confirmation on whether Nemea's Keda. Let me check my phone before I say that. <laughs> I have yet to get confirmation on whether Nemea's Keda will, in fact, travel with the Kings to uh, to Indiana. Um, but if he does not. That means that they walk into that game with Damian Jones and Alex Len and, you know, maybe Trey Lyles can play a little bit of center, but they're a little soft at the position after having like 47 centers on the roster the entire season. This is a moment where, A, Damian Jones is going to get a, a, chance to sh- uh, a, a, a chance to start the rest of the season, and then, B, where I think Namias Keita could get like substantial minutes. Like I would be comfortable with Kata and Jones splitting, playing 24 minutes each. And let's give Kata a shot here and see what he's got. Um, he's played extremely well at the G league level. He just keeps putting up big games. A couple of nights ago, he had 29 and like seven or eight uh, and a couple of blocks. Um, he played yesterday and had another solid line. His rebound numbers aren't great. Uh, but on the season, I think he's around 17 points, eight and a half rebounds, um, a block and a half. And uh, I would like to see what he can do in extended minutes. I would too. I, I think that it's uh, this is a good opportunity to get him a little bit of run. 
I do think that it's it would be weird. I, I would enjoy it, but it would be weird if he was getting play over Alex Len. Um, and Len just fully has been sitting on the bench all year long then at that point. But I would understand it, and it, it may, would make sense to me to go with some Nami-ish minutes or even splitting between the two I think is more than reasonable um, with the rotation they'd be working with, like you said, of D. Jones, Len, and, and Kada. I think there's room for all three of those guys to be playing on a nightly basis and I think that that's kind of the type of things that we have to look for in this final stretch of games like I'd love for Davion Mitchell to go into the offseason with some positive momentum and a sense of confidence because he's playing well I mean we just saw him have a career night in that loss against Phoenix where he just was doing everything on both ends of the floor it goes into overtime and he ends up logging 46 minutes but then you also get a career high 28 points nine assists is a career high for him so I think that it's going to be those type of things going through the final stretch of games here for the Kings. Yeah, it's the Kings are in an awkward spot, right? Because last season, when they got to this point in the season, they had Daquan Jeffries, they had uh, Justin James, they had Kyle Guy, they had, uh, well, maybe Daquan was, was let go around this time. Um, oh, there we have it. Breaking news here on the podcast. Namias Keda will be on the trip. There we go. Confirmation. Right. Um, so that is exciting news. Uh, and, and look, that that's what this season should be about. This Well, this point in the season should be about. But the Kings don't have any, any young players. Like, it's the strangest thing I've ever seen. This team always has, like, a glut of young players. And when they waived Lou King, that took away another young player. They did not fill that two-way spot. I would think that they would at least consider filling the two-way spot you know bring up a matt coleman or bring up a emmanuel terry just give yourself a different look uh or go sign someone else from some other team and bring them into your system but i think there's also a danger that the kings have a couple of second round picks and they probably don't want to extend a two-year two-way contract at this point to somebody even though you can waive two-way players with no problems as we already saw that um so the point is like normally you would hand this part of the season off to a bunch of young guys and say, go ahead and do your thing. Kings have Josh Jackson, who's really not that much of a prospect anymore. Um, he's, he's not that young and he probably, he's on the verge of not being in the league anymore. Um, you know, so it's Davion at 23 going on 24. It's Chemezi Metu who turned 25 today. Happy birthday, Chemezi Metu. Uh, it's Damian Jones, who's 26 is Nemeus Keda, which I think uh, Nemi is like 22. Um, we don't have like this glut of young players. Jemias Ramsey is no longer with the Kings. Robert Woodard is, uh, who is actually like 24 as well. Um, he's no longer with the Kings either. Um, so this is a weird situation because there are going to be veterans that have to play. And that's, that's not what usually the plan is at this point in the season. Um, you brought up the Fox thing. Do you think we've seen the last of Fox? I think it would make a lot of sense if we have. Like, yeah. I don't see much, especially if Sabonis isn't going to be available. Like, I don't see much of a point in putting De'Aaron back out there. Like, he, prior to the injury, he'd been playing some of the best basketball we've ever seen in his career and just kind of let him go into the offseason. Riding off that, I mean... I don't know. I think that we could still see him, um, but I certainly see a good argument for just shutting it down. 
Yeah, I, I can also see that argument. And I, I think it's going to come down to Fox a little bit. Th- there's been some gray area here with the Fox injury. I, I've been told that like he was looking forward to playing in Indiana against Buddy Heald and uh, Tyrese Halliburton. That, you know, they had circled that. And I think Sabonis was looking forward to it, too. I think you get a reality check when you see a your six foot ten, six foot eleven center, literally like the franchise is laying there on the ground, and it's that moment where you're like, um, okay, maybe we shouldn't play these guys when in meaningless games at the end of the season just to build chemistry. We got to see the chemistry. Now let's just kind of shift gears. Um, so so I think it's also possible we've seen the last of Fox. I, I'm not totally positive on that. But I do know that there is some confusion over what's actually happening in his hand. And, like, I, we've, we've heard things, but, like, it doesn't matter how many times I ask. I, whatever I've heard has been refuted. And, like, that's so uh, when it comes to what the injury actually is in his hand. Alvin Gentry keeps saying that it's, a, um, it's the amount of pain he can deal with, right? Like, it's a t- pain tolerance issue. And, I mean, that could still mean that he has something wrong in the hand, and they're just not telling us. Um, but, you know, I know that, like, the inside of his palm is all swollen. Uh, it's why, really, it's why he turned the ball over nine times that one game uh, against, what, Milwaukee, right? Yeah. He had four turnovers in the last, like, 247 of the game because he just had no zip left on his pass. And, um, I, you in, know. in the entire second half of that game, he's clenching his hand, shaking it like he's clearly in a lot of discomfort. Yeah, with with that right hand, the uh, entire second half of the Milwaukee game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've heard that it's uh, worse than pain management, but we're gonna, I guess, see how this goes. But to me, if there's any sort of risk, like why you don't need to add on to it, I'd even by, say by running him out there. It, not even if there's any sort of risk, like, what's the point? Like, at, at this point, like, we just talked about it. You don't have, like, a bunch of young players to turn to. The one young player you do have to turn to that you want to build something for this summer is the guy you brought up, like, Davion Mitchell. And I think, like, I, I've said it from the beginning of the season. I watched Davion play. He's not a natural point guard. Um, he can become a natural point guard, but like in his rookie season, he was not going to be a third distributor for this team. That's not who he is as a player. Some games he has six assists, other games he has zero assists and never once looks for a, uh, a teammate at all. Like he only looks to get his own shot and that's okay. Like I don't have any problems with the way I've seen Davion play all season long, but he can really use this time to say, okay, running a team this is what running a team looks like and go out there and share some duties with Davey uh, with uh, Dante DiVincenzo I think it also at this point if you're going to start Davion then and and Fox isn't going to play then that means that DiVincenzo really does probably have to come off the bench for you the last nine games of the season because you're going to need him to be the backup point guard Um, I guess you could work out rotations differently but I kind of feel like that's probably what we're going to do. We no longer have to see Dante DiVincenzo with De'Aaron Fox because De'Aaron Fox likely won't be there. So I think we just have a lot to kind of mull over. I think the the Indiana game is going to be a huge point where we understand where this thing is going completely, who's going to play, who's not, right? And if the Kings lose that game, it is so tremendous in the standings. 
it's like the biggest gift of all time. And again, we'll get to all that later in the in the pod. Uh, but like you you brought up the the Davion moment. What was it that you liked about Mitchell in when he started and played major major minutes against the Suns and put up career highs across the board? And the Kings battled and fought and were like really really scrappy. Yeah, I think like Alvin pointed out, like him doing it on both ends of the floor, Davion that is being asked to guard Booker on the other end while, I mean, 46 minutes in an overtime game, but 46 minutes is like Davion looked gassed while he was out there. He, he really was not giving much break. He was running the team. Like you said, I, I think that this is the best playmaking I've seen from him. I've been really impressed all season long at his ability to create space off the bounce. He hasn't capitalized on it amazingly throughout the entire season but obviously he did in that phoenix game he's got a really quick um kind of step back but he's not even quite stepping back he just stops his momentum very well and quickly and he finishes around the rim pretty well i got pretty excited when he almost threw it down over i want to say it was javel mcgee javel yeah he (laughs) like forget that davion has bounced like that we saw at a practice earlier this year I think when Tyrese was still around it was Ty and De'Aaron both giving Davion a hard time about like come on man we've seen you dunk like that like I've seen the high school clips and it made me pull it up and yeah Davion Davion can get up there and um, he's been messing around a little bit more in warm-ups and things like that and yeah we got a little glimpse of that so I thought that was a fun moment even though it didn't go down but it's just something you pointed out to me at the beginning of the year was, you know, I was like, man, I really like Davion. And you're like, well, I haven't seen it all in one game. Like you've seen bits and pieces of it in different stretches, but this was the first time where it was like, okay, this is all of it together. Yeah. It's funny you say that because he either scores or he doesn't, he either assists or he doesn't. Some games he, he doesn't score and doesn't have assists. Some games he has a bunch, like it's never the same thing, right? That's, and I think the one thing that you expected out of him was consistency. And the three point shot one day is, is like spot on. And his three point shot is so refined. And he should be a 40% three point shooter at the NBA level between 38 and 40. I, I'm almost going to guarantee that's where he's going to settle in for his career. Because it's a like repeatable motion. He he absolutely is refined with almost everything that he does. I think again, I keep saying this, there are moments where he looks just like Ty Lawson to me. Where he's just bouncing around the key, moving in and out like so fast, so quick. You you talked about his ability to stop. The stop and pop is nuts. Like he can stop on a dime and pull up and he, he gets to like 15, 16 feet. Uh, there are nights where like that's not happening because it, he's worn himself out and his legs aren't there. And so I think that's something he's got to get through. But this is the natural progression of a rookie. They come into the league. They struggle early on trying to figure out the pace and the speed of the game. They settle in and they start having a good stretch for like 15 games. Then they hit the rookie wall. And it looks like someone hit him in the head with a, pan, a frying pan. And you're like, oh, no. Like So you got to get through like these seven game stretches where they can't hit shots and they they get frustrated because they can't hit shots and they forget about defense or they start turning the ball over and then you have this breakthrough moment where they're back and they have you know maybe 15 or 20 games where they're really solid well then we get to like hey look we're now at game 60 and we've doubled up 
your longest season at the college level and they hit a wall again and then you watch them start to climb over that wall and I think right now we saw even if you look at last year look at Tyrese Halliburton it was like this the whole season like he was really really good and then he'd fall off and then really good and you watch him build and then he got late in the season he started to really start rolling again and then he got hurt right with the knee injury uh well with Davion we're gonna see the same thing like this is okay this is what rookies do and I'm totally fine with it. And now we're seeing him start to build. And that's usually what you see. When rookies get a really solid burn in the last 20 games or 18 games or 15 games, you start to see them string things together and say, okay, this is who I can be. You see the adjustments. You see them be able to start setting up teammates, which we saw the nine assists game from him. And then he started to exploit advantages. The fact that he scored the game-tying uh, bucket in overtime, like that was spectacular, Brendan. This is what you need for this kid. It's it's like if De'Aaron Fox doesn't play, he almost shouldn't play just so Davion can learn to be the guy for a stretch and give him that confidence walking into the offseason. Yeah, and I don't think it's a coincidence that both times we've seen Davion be in a groove and maybe you know, this Phoenix game, he's got to keep it up in order for it to actually, I guess, be a groove rather than just one outlier game. But the last time we saw him in a rhythm was when De'Aaron was also not out there. Um, And it's less of De'Aaron specifically and more of just Davion getting to be in that starting lineup. And I think there being a clear understanding of like what his role is on that night. And I I think that defining that going into next year is going to be important. We saw this a little bit with Tyrese even last year where he was kind of in and out of the starting lineup. And um, so I I think that there is an aspect of like Davion feels like a rhythm player sometimes. Like sometimes he just feels like he's not in a rhythm, that he's still trying to get his footing or figuring out how, okay, where am I going to impact the game today? And I I think that it's just going to be more defined throughout the stretch of this season. And that seems to help him. I think that helped him in those 10 games prior to the all-star break earlier this year. I think it's something like we've kind of heard Dante talk about where, you know, he is rehabbing from injury and there's a lot of other complications to Dante DiVincenzo's process right now. But he talked about how last year at all 66 games that he played for the Milwaukee Bucks, he started. And there's just a comfort to being in the starting lineup. Everybody takes a second to get going and you get to be out there for that process of everybody else. And when you're coming off the bench, like you're expected to be ready to go right away. You're going in alongside guys who have had a second to get a flow and feel of this game. And I think it's just a little bit of a different aspect for Davion where his role hasn't been that defined throughout this season. And now he's going to know exactly going into that night, this is what they need from me. And I think that's helpful. And it's also going to be something that they're going to need to define going into next season. Yeah. Okay. So on the season, I'm going to like Davion Mitchell's played a lot. Like there, he does have somewhat of a defined role. Now, whether it's as a scorer or as a distributor, like there could be some question marks about like what exactly is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to be an on-ball guy? Is he supposed to be an off-ball guy? I think we're seeing that he's probably more comfortable as an on-ball guy, but he's always going to have to learn and like refine who he is as an off-ball guy because that's just who he's going to be at the NBA level. I don't think he's going to be a 20-point-a-game guy um, and just like rocket, you know, go crazy, and all of a sudden he's this guy that you've got to build an offense around. Um, but over his last five games, uh, he started twice. He's 31.8 minutes per game. 
Um, he's averaging 15 field goal attempts a game and shooting 46.7, 5.43-point attempts per game. He's hitting 44.4. He's averaging 17.8 points, 3.8 assists, 2.2 rebounds, a steal. Uh, he's only turning the ball over 2.2 times per game in 32 minutes, which is excellent. Although his assist to turnover ratio is a little skewed, he needs to get the assist numbers up. And he's staying in the game, 2.4 personal fouls per game. Now, like on the season, his numbers don't look that good. But what we're seeing now is like he's got the keys to the car, right? Now, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to, are you going to do like license to drive and, and, you know, get the car stolen and, and and bring it back in the middle of the night all crushed? Is that what's going to happen? That Les Anderson, that you have no idea what I'm talking about because you're like, you know, that movie was before you were even born. I don't even like, – Corey Haim isn't even with us anymore. Um, but License to Drive. You need to watch <laughs> License to Drive, Brendan. Um, noted. Noted. Yeah, it's it's in that uh, – it's at the back end of, like, the the great John Hughes film. So Breakfast Club, uh, Pretty in Pink. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, there's so many great movies. Like, that – genre of film is is incredible so you need to go back and watch all of these things um anyway uh to get back to where we're at um <laughs> yeah when someone hands you the keys like what are you gonna do with it like are you gonna ding it the first day out or are you gonna take advantage are you gonna like find your lane not drive too fast not go to a driving cat and drive the franchise off a cliff uh like are you gonna be able to handle yourself and so far I think Mitchell's showing like he's a mature, steady hand. And uh, like we get the joy of interviewing him in post game. And he's he's not bad, but he's very short. So all of his answers are probably like 15 words or less. Right. Oh, yeah. He he looks like he's like been trained on like how to deal with media. Yeah. Sometimes he gets to the end. He's like. Mm, yeah okay like i'm done with that one let's go to the next question yeah and you're like okay but it's usually short and like staccato it's very like blah, 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 blah. i'm done he he's tough to get anything out of he is um and, and i thought initially sabonis was the same thing but no sabonis is short but it's brilliant you're like oh my goodness like you go to transcribe you're like oh that was some next level stuff brendan like yeah yeah. There's a lot more emotion with Sabonis. There is. And, you know, if I was writing, like, post-game, like, sidebars, like I did for years and years, I would be really intrigued because there's always a quote or two from Sabonis. And, like, we had this incident. I'm just going to bring this as a totally bizarro. But we had this situation the other day where, like, I went to go set up in the media room uh, for post-game, which usually we have, like, at least – at least a 10 minute wait before Alvin Gentry comes in and like I'm setting up my, so I use a, a mini tripod that I leave set up and on my mini tripod, I have a a phone uh, accessory that will hold my phone. And then I use a road mic uh, with an adapter for my Apple phone. So a road mic is a directional mic. It's like this little cone that sticks out. Um, And that's how I, I do, 
pre and post game or scrums or practice or anything else. It, and with with our phones now, it's just absolutely crazy what what you can do, what you can shoot, how quickly I can edit, how quickly I can square cut it so people can't cut square cut it after I put it up and cut my logo off. I can watermark it. I you know like so it's crazy. So I go to set up my camera, which is literally just putting my phone in, tightening it up, and plugging in the audio. Audio, and Sabonis is already on the set on the stage, and I'm like, "What is happening here?" I'm like, and they're like, "Okay, are you guys ready?" Brennan's not even in the room. No, like I went to go get water. I had already been down there. Went to go get water. Reopened the door, and he's up there answering questions. The media relations guys just looked at me and shrugged, and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" Okay. So five minutes after the game, Sabonis is in the media room talking. Sabonis leaves, and then I, who came in next? Was it Alvin that came in next? Alvin, and then uh, and then we did wait a second for Dante that night. I think. Um, maybe. maybe it wasn't Dante. I think we got Justin, and then we were out of there really quick. We were out of there within like I don't know, twenty five minutes. So, like, I posted something on Twitter saying, oh, my gosh, Sabonis just, like, we like five minutes after the game, he's already talking. This is new in Sacramento. And someone was like, well, it seems like a stupid thing to complain about. And I'm like, like, I wasn't complaining. I was like, this is a miracle. And he's like, no, you're complaining because you have to wait for players. Brendan will attest. <laughs> waiting for players is like waiting at the DMV. It is boring and lame and you're waiting while somebody sits in an ice tub in another room that you can't see and you're like this is it, it literally it's like it's <laughs> like bad. waiting for a bus that never shows up right this last weekend when i had uh march madness games to turn on while i'm waiting it was way better but the point where we're sitting there feeling a need to watch something while we're waiting for some of these guys sometimes it's it's yeah, you need to entertain yourself. We're in there playing games with the other media guys, trying to guess whoever comes out what they're about to wear, and the De'Aaron Fox uh, do rag <laughs> game. That's that's one of our games. Uh, we all choose a color. What what color De'Aaron Fox is gonna? And De'Aaron's like in on it now. He he thinks it's hilarious. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> I, I like in all honesty, we wait on. Any night that De'Aaron Fox has a good game, which uh, he had a bunch of good games, we wait an hour to an hour and 20 minutes. So when a game ends at like 9.15 and we're waiting until 10.35 for Fox to show up and then we get him for like 8 to 10 minutes, now you're looking at like almost 11 o'clock just, just with him talking. Like, And if you had to write afterwards, which I did for years – you're looking at like one o'clock in the morning. You're leaving the arena, so so yeah. A lot of times we're trying to make it to Yard House by the time they lock their doors at eleven. <laughs> There's been times that we haven't. That's right. There are plenty of times where we do not make it out of the media room um, until after eleven. So anyway, uh, that was hilarious. And to me, Dav- it was Davion like- got us the second time the, uh, last night against Phoenix, or not last night, but last game against Phoenix. He was out really quick. Also, some guys were not there yet. It's almost like they haven't been doing a lot of um, like conversation after the game, like or they send a guy out and then he comes back and he joins the conversation, um, and they're already kind of like let's get one out of the way to try to get the media taken care of, the first media person, and then we'll send Alvin out like ten to fifteen minutes later. I I remember, I think it was a um, 
the Phoenix game where Alvin came out and you could tell he was frustrated. Like he was a bit red in the eyes and like, um, like it, it, it had taken a toll on him that game had, but again, Davion was out there super quick and, and was a, like absolutely spectacular. I mean, I, I, I fully enjoyed watching him and like, okay, if this is who we can get, maybe if you can like, like have some, your consistency level is up here and then on occasion have spikes like this, then that's totally fine. Then you're a really solid number nine pick in the draft. Yeah. Um, I'm been happy with what we've seen from Davion. I'm like, and see, seeing what feels like a little bit more confidence doesn't feel like the right word, but willingness to kind of step up and make it his moment every once in a while. And yeah, I think I've, I've been impressed. You know, one of the main things is that six of six from the free throw line against Phoenix. Like he's been a poor free throw shooter this year. He hardly gets to the line. I want to say he's under one a game. Um, he never gets to the line. He shot it poorly from the line in college as well um yeah he's at 0.9 free throw free throws per Boy, game on 59 percent and he went six of six against phoenix that's interesting because I, I watched him the other day i recorded him make 48 consecutive free throws he's not yeah. a bad free throw shooter and again everything he does is it's like slightly mechanical but it's so repeatable it's the same exact motion with everything that he does. Like, he's so incredibly refined. And I guess maybe that's because he's a 23-year-old guy coming into the league. Um, I mean, that plays a, a role in it. Um, is he 23? Yeah, 23 and 198 days. Um, so definitely a 23-year-old. Um, yeah, I, like, again, that's what the, these moments are about. It's about focusing on that and nothing else. Like, developing a young player or two or three. I want to see... Let's kind of get to back to the Nemeas thing. Um, first of all, we skipped over this. Uh, since the last podcast, uh, Rashawn Holmes has decided to shut it down for the rest of the season and leave the team. He's He is not with the Kings, from what I can tell. Um, he has some personal issues that he's trying to take care of. And, uh, you know, he's worn out. And I, I think uh, more than anything else, I, I think love and support is what that guy probably needs. This was a brutal season, uh, and you know, not only did he have injuries uh, and really weird injuries, but also COVID, and uh, he had a death in the family. Um, he also had, uh, you know, the moment where he lost his job because they traded for a 25-year-old two-time All-Star. This has been a tough stretch. So, uh, nothing. And Rashawn Holmes, just so people know, he's like a really cool dude. He's very, very nice guy behind the scenes. Uh, good teammate heart and soul guy um losing him as a as a teammate is actually a, a a pretty tremendous blow at this point as opposed to just the the player itself um so so well wishes out to him um but brennan what i like about Kada is he has shown in small spurts i think he's averaging 1.8 assists per game at the g league level in like 26 minutes he's shown some ability to be a guy that you can run the offense through like Sabonis. And to me, that's really intriguing because if you do something crazy, like come back next season and somehow you get to, you, you retain Damian Jones and Damian Jones is your true backup center, but you have Nemeas Keda developing alongside him. 
And then if you have stretches where Sabonis is out, I could see where it's not Damian Jones who goes into the starting lineup, but it's Kata who goes into the starting lineup. Damian Jones remains as the number two in, in sort of the anchor on the second minute. His minutes would go up, uh, but Kata is a guy you can run the ball through. He's a different type of big. He's more like he's not Sabonis. Don't don't like put words in my mouth here, um, but he's more Sabona esque Sabonis esque than he is Rashawn Holmes or Damian Jones. Like he's not a true rim runner. He's really good in the pick and roll, but uh, he doesn't do the high flying, you know, hammer dunks all the time in the pick and roll. He's just a he's more of a ground based guy, a big body. He can shoot the ball. He can roll really well. He's got great hands. He can finish around the rim. But what do you want to see from him in this final uh, nine games? I think for bigs like him, a lot of it is discipline on the defensive end. Like, just not biting at pump fakes and, you know, not feeling like he needs to block the shot, but just deterring it is enough. And I I think that he's good at that, but uh, it's a lot of fouls to me um like that's not that kate has been horrible in that aspect i think that it's just something that young bigs deal with in a process that they have to go through like and kate is just dealing with that like anyone else like shoot i mean we still see it with rashawn holmes at times um damian jones falls into that like kate averaged just under four fouls per game in the 28 and a half minutes he played with stockton i think that just being more consistent on on that end of the floor is what I'm really looking for because I'm intrigued in the offensive upside the same way that you kind of just laid out I I think that having a guy that plays the same style of center when they want to run so much of the offense through the bigs on the elbows like makes a lot of sense I thought there were too many times this year where it's like Rashawn Holmes when he was playing after Sabonis was acquired was almost looking like he was trying to play like Sabonis um, which just isn't his style and I think that Kata can do that a little bit better it lets you keep the same type of offense like it's different schematically but the same way that like Hassan Whiteside makes a lot of sense as a backup for Rudy Gobert because you don't have to change your scheme at all you get to stay with the exact same play style and I think that Kata kind of allows you to do that with Sabonis Um, the offense is like I said interesting that's where the upside is to me but I think that the floor of being good with having him out there and the big man that's running alongside some of the other starters if Domas needs to go to the bench is that I I just need some consistency on the defensive end because we've seen the flashes but just not getting himself in foul trouble um, getting used to how quick some of these other big guys are like I want to say one of the games that we saw him most earlier this year he was playing against Cleveland and like Jared Allen's first step left Namias Keita in the dust so I think that just finding consistency on the defensive end is what I'm going to be mainly looking for at the end of this season, but also going to enjoy the offensive flashes. You know what I want to see? I want to see him and Trey Lyles just play one-on-one like every day at practice because Trey Lyles is like like the king pump of the pump fake. To the, yeah, pump yeah. fake to the end of the world. Yeah, he's He's going to pump fake you like like seven times every single time, and you're like, whoa. Like that, you, you pump faked again and again. Like, I think that's where, like, you can learn from that. You can also learn that a big guy can have a quick step. A big guy can shoot the three and you got to stay with him. I think that that is like in uh, one-on-one, in three-man games, that's something I would highly recommend to Kata. And I'll also say this for, for all the good people, 
the good people in Portugal. I've said this from the beginning. The moment I watched Mia's Keita walk in the room, I could see that he needed a lot of work on his body. And it's not that Nimeas Keda is lazy or that he he doesn't know how to work out or anything else. What I, what I mean by that is he his job is now being a basketball player. It was not. It was being a college student who played basketball. Now he's a professional basketball player. And what comes with that is a professional training staff that builds you from the ground up. And for me, I've watched enough of him just... He has improved throughout the season dramatically, but his core strength has to get so much better because he drags around his lower half more than he should. And that's why he's only blocking 1.5 or 1.6 shots per game at the G League level, as opposed to three or three, I think, what do you have? 3.2 at Utah State. Once he gets, this summer is going to be so important for him. If he really dedicates himself and becomes a workout warrior, he can come back with a completely different redefined body next year that will help him keep up with the Jared Allens of the world. But it's not even the Jared Allens. It's the Davion Mitchells of the world, the De'Aaron Foxes of the world, the quick twitch guys that get to the basket and you want to go block a shot, but you're always late because your body just can't get there in time. So he's a natural shot blocker, which is a spectacular thing. Because that's not a skill that you can really teach somebody. Either you got it or you don't. But you, at the NBA level, you got to be a super athlete because you're going up against the greatest athletes in the world. They're, you know, like De'Aaron Fox's 6'3 would probably run like a 4'4'40 and has a 38 or a 42 inch vert. Like, He's a he's a freak of nature, and he's not even the freak of the freak of natures in the NBA, and so that's what you're you're up against. You're up against you know six foot nine guys who who move like the best guard that you ever played, that you've ever played with at a high school level or you know or at a, at the YMCA. I mean, there are good players out there, but just think of those guys that just have all these moves and stuff, and then think of that in a six foot ten guy or a six foot nine guy. They can just take you off the dribble, and you're like, what in the world is happening here? There, So there there has to be an adjustment, and I think he's making the adjustment, and I kind of wish he would have had a more consistent season as opposed to like bouncing up and down so much and not playing while he was up. But there's still value in going on a six-game road trip, getting your per diem, figuring out what it's like to bounce from one hotel to the next, uh, figuring out what it's like to try to keep your nutrition, being around the guys, being around the team, uh, the camaraderie, uh, some of the the events that they go to, you know, whether, you know, they're going to the, uh, you know, museums and, and or, or some of the other things that they go to, like when they're on the road. These are all things that, like, I think have been really good for Keda, but I also would have liked to have seen him play, like, 40-something games at the G League level, which I don't—does G League even have 40 games? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what they get to, but I, I'm definitely with you. There's the adjustment for himself to the competition level around him. And then, like you said, also his own physical adjustment. Like his freshman year, he was so much more thin than, than he was right now. He spent three years at Utah State. Like there was a process there of him putting on weight and then also just still learning how to 
use that weight most optimally and also still retain his quickness throughout that whole process. Like, I, I think that there is a lot of growth going both ways for Nemeish within himself and also just adjusting to the level of play that he's dealing with. So I didn't even, you know, I hadn't given enough thought of like Nemeish should really play in this final stretch. And that's something that like I can get excited about, even if De'Aaron and Domas are not out there, like I could get excited to see 15 minutes of Nemeish for these last nine games. I, I totally agree. Okay. So, um, well, um, we talked. We touch on this every single episode. It feels like, but I think that at this point, the DiVincenzo, um, Justin Holiday thing, um, I, I think we just take it and, and crumple it up and throw it out the window. And I know that seems weird, but at the same time, like it's kind of where we're at in the season, right? Uh, it's the same Dante, conversation. Like, yeah, and, and Dante is going to have to play backup point guard minutes. Because Fox is, well, if Fox is going to miss the rest of the season or if he's going to miss, you know, substantial time here. And, and again, I don't think there's any reason to bring De'Aaron Fox back. Um, we're seeing teams around the league, especially like Portland. Portland just sits everybody. Everyone is just out. Um, OKC is just the biggest joke of all time. All they do is sit their players out. They have all these first round picks from other teams, but their own first round pick is always high because they literally just sit everybody out the whole season. And it doesn't, I don't even know how you grow your, your team and your franchise and stuff. But I'll also say this, when it comes to Justin and Dante, I've been waiting for Dante to have that moment where you're just like, holy cow, he's an NBA starter. He is the guy. He is is the fourth of, the, the, of your building blocks with Fox and Barnes and Sabonis. I haven't seen it. Uh, he's had like a couple of nice games and then he has games where it just nothing is working and I think that I, I like him as a player but I'm still not convinced fully that he's an NBA starter and I I think that we have this issue here with with why is he not starting and I, I think it's di- distracted us from like I, I think we all think oh the reason why he's not starting is because the Kings are trying to hold his value down or there, you know, there's some sort of nefarious issue here that we're looking at and that's possible, but it's also possible that the Kings view him sort of the same way that, that I'm talking about where they're like, okay, we're not sure if he's a starter. And if we make him the starter now, does he think he's going to be the starter going forward? And if we get to the off season and the big swing for the fence we have is not at the small forward or the power forward position, but the big swing comes at the shooting guard spot because that's the big move that we can make. Not that we would choose to make on a normal basis, but you know, if we were going to line up what position we need to fill more, it would probably be stretch forward or the forward position. Um, and you're going to need a replacement for Harrison Barnes, or you're going to need to lock up Harrison Barnes, but you also have to understand he's, you know, just about 30 years old and you need a long-term answer there. So, but you still, you need a long-term answer at the shooting guard position too. And my concern, which like I've voiced here on the podcast is that you give Dante DiVincenzo $10 million a year. You got Justin Holiday at $6.3 million a year. You got Terrence Davis at $4 million a year. 
you're over $20 million at the shooting guard position, and you don't have a starter. That That's my concern. And I think DiVincenzo uh, could be a starter. He started on a great team, but he also started along four All-Stars. So what does he look like? And, and I think we wanted to see how it plays out, but at the same time, um, I think the Kings have, have kind of like looked at this situation a little differently than we thought they would. They wanted DiVincenzo so bad, but that doesn't mean that they wanted DiVincenzo as their starting shooting guard so bad. We don't know the answer to that at this point. And so I think it's a position where you can improve in the offseason. And that might mean, you know, again, trading Justin Holiday. It could mean trading Terrence Davis. It could be bringing back DiVincenzo on a long-term deal. It could be bringing in uh, someone like, like Monk who can shoot the ball really well. But it could also mean, like, drafting a guy at the shoot at the shooting guard position. And then what do you do? Do you lock DiVincenzo up on a four-year deal and keep him in Sacramento until he's 29 years old with the thought that he might not be a starter or might not be happy the whole time? I think there are some confusion here that that needs a little bit more time to kind of root out and kind of figure like it's almost like roster building 101. You're 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 trying to see how they're building their roster. And I don't think we know that yet, Brendan. No, I don't think we do. I think that that's the best argument I've heard for DiVincenzo not starting because my whole issue has been I couldn't figure out a reason not to. Um, And if it's because they're trying to. You know, they feel pretty strongly that he's a six man on this team and they wanted to keep him in that role so he understands that's what it's going to be going into next year. Then, like, sure. Um, my issue has been that your option ahead of DiVincenzo is Justin Holiday. And I feel pretty confident that DiVincenzo's better than Holiday. Um, even if I don't maybe think that Holiday's as bad as we've seen, um, that he's a better player than how he's played since he's come to Sacramento. I, I still think that DiVincenzo is the better option. And I, I think that, like, to me, DiVincenzo can be the starting two long-term. Um, I don't think that Holiday can. So when Fox and Sabonis were still out there, I wanted the same way that I wanted Fox and Sabonis to see their synergy. I wanted to see how DiVincenzo worked alongside them. So without those two former players available if that's what we're looking at here i understand a little bit less divincenzo um what you what you said definitely makes sense and i think that i I was having this conversation before the phoenix game like there's a lot of guards on this team still um and and really like De'Aaron is the only point and then after that it's like how many two guards are you working with guys that like i guess can play the three but probably should be a two they probably shouldn't really play the one like Davion, Dante, Terrence Davis, Justin Holiday. Um, there is a chance that you draft somebody like that if you're talking AJ Griffin, Benedict Matherin. Like there's a handful of guys that I think kind of would fill that same label. Um, so I, I see where that's a position that gets tricky. I'm certainly not tied to DiVincenzo as thinking he's the starting two guard of this team. But I, I think that he could be, and I don't know that I can say that about the other guys um, that's mentioned there. But I understand that if you do view him as a bench piece, and he's talking about, you know, it's less of the impression that I got when Dante was talking about it, less of like, oh, I think I'm a starter, 
um, when he's talking about like, oh, I just, that's what I was comfortable with doing all of last season and more of like, that's just what I did all of last year. That's what I'm used to. So if the idea is you want him as a bench piece and allow him to get used to that, sure. Um, that, that makes sense. That's the first time, that's the first argument where I'm like, okay, I see it. Yeah, and I'll say this, like, I think Davion Mitchell is going to take a couple of years to develop fully as a point guard. And if you had him and Dante DiVincenzo working together in the second unit, both who have point, point guard skills, but neither one who is a true point guard, um, then I think that that makes sense to me. Like, you need another creator with him on the court. And, you know, I think that's pretty obvious, right? Yeah, you do. I think that you can get away with those two as your guard along alongside Sabonis or HB out there as well to do a little bit more creation. Um, but if that's what you're going with with Dante, then go get a better two guard this offseason. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I bring up Malik Monk because I think, number one, like you have high, high-end recruiting ability there because him and De'Aaron Fox were paired together in uh, – at Kentucky, they're friends. Um, and he shoots the three ball really well. And he doesn't really play outside of himself. He's not a great defender. He's not a great shot creator. But this team just needs more three-point shooting. And the Lakers are going to have a difficult time keeping anyone at this point. Um, you know, that they're, the Lakers are a flaming hot mess. And, uh, and I think they are going to be next season as well. And so it's not like you can't swoop in and, and steal a guy away like that. Yeah, and that's coming from someone who covers the Sacramento Kings for 13 years, so that's saying something. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get to uh, let's get to the draft. Um, we're we're gonna have to race through this because we we do have some stuff going on today, so neither one of us can stick around long term. Uh, Tuesday overreactions. Oh, Tuesday overreactions. The Benedict Sacramento... Matherin is the answer. <laughs> Benedict Matherin, the answer. Um, yeah, you know what, let's, uh, this is Tuesday overreactions. I, I think it is because, um, I'm just going to race through this really quick. So people understand, uh, cause I like to spew out the numbers like very quickly. The Kings are now the fifth spot the, in the lottery. Uh, the fifth spot might get decided on Wednesday night because they're playing the team that they're tied with in the win column. So the Kings have 25 wins right now. The Indiana Pacers have 25 wins. Uh, the Kings got lucky the other night because uh, Portland decided to win a game, so now they're up to 27 wins. I don't know if the Kings are going to try to get up to 27 wins. Uh, I also think Portland does not want to win any more games, but they might sneak in one more win. Uh, but it gives you a little bit of a buffer. If the Kings lose to Indiana, that means they are the fifth spot. If Indiana and the Kings tie at the end of the season, that means that they split their percentages and then there's a coin flip to see who is actually the fifth in the sixth spot, uh, which is actually a huge coin flip because if you're the sixth spot, you cannot get the fifth pick. If you can only get one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, if you're the fifth spot, you can get one through five. You can get six, seven, eight, nine, I think it is. Um, but let's just run through the percentages. If you're the fifth spot in the draft, you have a 10.5% chance at the one, the two, the three, and the four. You have a 42% chance of landing in the top four. Here's a weird one. You only have a 2.2% chance of being the fifth pick. So that means there's only a 2.2% chance that the top four picks in the NBA draft will all be, will go one, two, will, will all go in the top four. They don't have to go in that same order, 
but you know the four can be one and two can be three and three can be two and one can be four like whatever it is like that can happen but the fifth spot is huge because you have a 19.6 percent chance of falling to number six you have a 26.7 chance of falling to number seven so basically you're really looking at a top seven pick and even a really good chance of being a top four pick this draft that means a ton but i also think that there's two tiers i think that there's three tiers in the top i think there's one tier that's chet holmgren and jabari smith just my own personal agreement uh, my own personal like look i think there's a second tier which is paulo Bancaro, and it's possible that Jaden ivy slides into that that tier and then I think that there's a, a third tier right there. And I'm going to say it. A.J. Griffin and Ben Matherin are my top six. And uh, I, I that, that can be our Tuesday overreaction. I like it. Um, I have Keegan Murray like in that same group. Um, but I do like Matherin better. Um I, I'm still, you know, definitely not locking anything in with these guys. I, I'm going to be diving a lot deeper as we go further here. Like Jalen Duran had a really good two games at the tournament. Uh, Johnny Davis is playing well. I, I think that there's, you know, Tari Eason with LSU. Like, I think there's other guys like that him. could. Yeah. There's other guys that could, that could totally kind of jump into this group. But I'm with you where like I would be thrilled with any of your six. I, I'd be pretty happy with Keegan Murray also. Um, there's there's a couple guys even after the what's viewed as like the top of the draft. I think the top four is like what's talked about a lot. But yeah, there's two, three, four guys after that that I would feel pretty good about. And I could not help but get really excited about Ben Matherin in, in those couple games and made me dive into him a lot more. And especially like the dunk that he had was cutting off of a post-up. I was like, man, this is like the easiest thing to picture ever. This is Demontis Sabonis. Like, <laughs> Okay, so I- I'm going to tell you why, in my opinion, I don't have Keegan Murray in the top 10. I don't. I don't even have him in. Uh, he- he's probably number 12 when I-, when I really break it down. I like Keegan Murray, and I think he can be a really solid NBA player. And I think his floor is probably pretty high. Like, I don't think he's going to be a player that can bust. I think, you know, he's probably looking at, like, Sadiq Bay-esque with the potential to be a little bit better than that um, offensively. I don't think he can be as good defensively as Sadiq Bay, but I think he can still be solid. Um, that is a player, in my mind, that goes between picks, like, 12 and 18. And maybe I'm wrong, uh, but... Watching him disappear and flame out in the NCAA tournament was exactly what I was worried about. It's that there are games where he completely disappears. And there are moments where he disappears in games where you're sitting there wondering, how in the world did this guy get to 32 points? Because I remember him hitting a bunch of threes early, but then I don't remember him doing much of anything else. And it's just kind of a weirdness about certain players where they just, they don't, I mean, it is a little bit Harrison Barnes-esque, right? Now, when I watch Matherin, I think, holy cow, that guy's a dog. That guy doesn't care. He's going to get in somebody's face. He's going to jump over the top of somebody and hammer a ball down. 
He has the personality. He has he has the ceiling. So I, I think that Keegan Murray's ceiling is low. I don't think he can be an all-star. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he can be a solid rotational player, maybe a starter. I don't see plus starter, but I can see him being a really solid NBA player. Matherin could bust. He could also be an all-star. He has incredible athleticism. His personality is crazy. He wants to go out and punk you. And that's something the Kings need. And I think if you look at A.J. Griffin, you're looking a little bit like that. If you look at uh, Jaden Ivey, again, that dude is going to do something spectacular on the court every single time, every single night. He will do something that makes you go, I can't believe I just saw that. Now, will he make a bunch of mistakes? Will he ever develop into a guy that you can depend on, on a you know a, a high-end rotational player on a high-end playoff team? I don't know. Like there's there's possibility that he's just wild and crazy and does these like fiendish things all the time, but he it never equates. It's not consistent. It's not it's not good enough. It's but very I, Harrison Barnes and Dante DiVincenzo. Like it's kind of I'm not saying exact comps and obviously like because we're just talking about Kings players, but it's the you know there is an upside here, um, but also questionable downside and then you know not saying that like Keegan will be Harrison Barnes level but it's the same type of thing where that upside isn't there but then the worst nights aren't quite as bad yeah I I enjoy watching both of them I I, I, like all of them all of them I enjoy watching all of them even Keegan Murray I enjoy watching him so yeah I I mean I get it I, I I see the upside I see the positivity here um but okay so that's gonna that's gonna get us to the the business of basketball. Uh, we're going to run these two things in together because we're pressed for time. Um, the business of basketball. Brennan, are you a best player available or best fit? Because in all honesty, I think that's what we're talking about right here. Um, you know, the way that I always do it is I have my tiers and I'm fine with going with fit if they're in the same tier but I'm never going down a tier for the sake of fit. Like Davion Mitchell, I would not have gone with because he just wasn't in the same tier as some of these other guys for me, like a Moses Moody, Alperen Shingun, Zaire Williams. Um, but I like Keegan Murray and Matherin and um, – one other I'm forgetting, like A.J. Griffin, one of them might end up in a tier higher than the others, and one of them would be Griffin or or Matherin. Um, I don't think that I'll end up bumping up Murray, but that that's kind of how I am. I'm, if my tiers will be pretty well defined, like maybe for the sake of putting them out, I, they're a little bit wider, but there's maybe even half tiers inside of those where I wouldn't reach down for the sake of fit. But if I view two guys somewhat similarly and – then I'm taking fit into account. Um, And and that's if you're picking fifth. Like if you're one or two, I could give a damn about fit. Oh, no. I I mean, if you're looking at one or two and they're in the same tier and one of them is considered way above the other, you take the one that's way better. Um, But if they're both considered like, you know, like a a coin toss, which I think these guys might be at the end of the day uh, between Chet and, and Jabari, uh, if they're a coin toss, then I'm going to go fit. 
because yeah. if it, again, if it's a coin toss, I, and I'll just say, look, I, I think that if you are able to add certain pieces to the Sacramento Kings, then the best fit player, if you're like at number seven or if you're number six, it might be Keegan Murray, but you have to add so many other things for that that one piece to make sense with this specific roster. And so that's where I, I ignore fit uh, and I go straight up, you know, I agree with you. Like if you got three players that you kind of believe are around the same talent level, I'm going fit within that, right? But I'm not going to stretch for fit. Yeah, and And it's mainly that like the way that fit gets in the way to me is if there's a clearly bad fit. Like, I, I'm more so worried about poor fits rather than I am, like, attracted to good fits when we're having that conversation. I agree. It's like a Bancaro. Like, he's he will not, I, I don't think, will be a good fit at all with De'Aaron Fox and with Sabonis. Like, is that stupid to pass on him at number three if somehow you end up at number three and take someone else? Maybe. But I, I still don't see the fit. Like, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. No, I, I'm definitely with you like if there's a guy that's only a point guard like ty ty washington like haven't done yet dug into him enough but guys like that where it's like i don't think this is just a bad fit to me that's different than benedict like keegan murray's a better fit than matherin because of divincenzo holiday like uh yeah and, and those guys like that matters less to me for sure okay all right um do you have any final quick thoughts hmm um I think that this Indiana game is weirdly hilarious how much it matters and it matters because we're both trying to lose games like I will be disappointed if we don't see Fox and Tyrese which I would guess that we don't but I I would have loved to have seen that and can we can we I think we've had this conversation off record this is probably one of our waiting for De'Aaron or Dante conversations but who scores more um, Tyrese Halliburton or Buddy Heald hmm uh, I think Ty does yeah. because I don't think there's ever been a, a big game that Buddy Hield ever showed up for. Yeah. Like I watched him play for years and every single time there was a big game where you needed a big night from Buddy Hield, he wasn't there. One for five, uh, one for one for eight from three. Almost every single time there was any type of pressure. And I, I think this is pressure. This is Buddy wants to, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll just catch fire and just light the Kings up. All right, we got to cut this. Be on the other side of it. Yeah. All right, so we got to cut this one short. Um, Number one, uh, make sure to jump on board with the Kings beat. Uh, If you are a premium subscriber, you get an invite to Thursday's happy hour. Uh, It's going to be a blast. Scott Moak will be there. Um, If you are not, uh, you will not get the invite. Uh, Number two, uh, give us a thumbs up. Give us a subscription to uh, here on YouTube. Um, merch shop is wide open and like some awesome stuff in there. Jump on board there. Um, outside of that, we'll be back on Thursday. Uh, we'll break down some of this stuff, uh, long before the happy hour happens and, uh, we'll get the ball rolling a little, a little bit, uh, more on draft coverage as we look for this weekend's tournament stuff. That's going to heat up. Should be a lot of fun. So for Brendan Nunez from the Kings Herald and the Kings Bulls podcast, I am James Ham, your Kings insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. See you in a couple of days.